0: Hello, and welcome into another episode on the Labumba Pastor's Blog. I'm Masumba Jonathan. Today's lesson is entitled The Ministry of Suffering. This lesson interrupts our series in Acts to discuss something that is very personal to me. I've recently been dealing with a lingering infection caused by complications from my medical conditions. I've been through three rounds of antibiotics, but the infection continues to remain undefeated and undeterred. This current health trial comes on the heels of a point that has stood out to me vividly from my recent study of the book of 2 Corinthians. In chapter 4 of that book, the Apostle Paul writes these very important truths for us to understand. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to verse 12, which says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. We've discussed in many lessons of the past how we have often heard in Uganda that we should give our lives to Jesus because he will take away all our problems. I have shown how the Bible contradicts this idea, and actually promises suffering in a believer's life. But we have not yet focused on this particular revelation the Bible gives us on suffering. That is the truth that part of the ministry of the church is to carry in itself the death of Jesus. I want you to take a moment to make sure you understand that statement. Part of the church's ministry is to carry in the body Manifestations of the suffering of Jesus. This should be so obvious to us, but because of a combination of different things, I think, we usually do not see this truth. What is the unit of measurement God uses to show that people love Him? It's obedience. In John 14 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's very simple for us to understand. It's, it's a straightforward unit of measurement. If I'm willing to obey Jesus in everything, that shows I love him in everything. If I only obey him in some things and then I won't obey him in other things, that shows I have limitations on my love, right? That's how we see people truly love God. But how can people measure the love of God towards them? What unit of measurement does the Bible give us to determine that? It's written in John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. How much does God love you? How do you know? Well, we have this measurement. God so loved us. That he gave his only son. Romans 5 adds to us grasping the depths of this love in this way. In Romans 5, verse 8, we read, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God manifests his love towards us in showing he was willing to do all he could to save us, even while we were his enemies. There was nothing more that could be given. He gave his Son, who willingly gave himself for our sins. Now, we need to get out of this pattern of thinking that in our ministry, we won't need to manifest these same things. That's false. What Christ has done, we are to continue showing to the world. Jesus used this term to describe himself and his church. In John 8, verse 12, it says, And again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In Matthew 5, from verse 14 to 16, he applies the same title, the light of the world, to us. He says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. If the measure of God's love for us is given by his suffering and death on our behalf, doesn't it flow logically that the manifestation of God's love should be carried on in the church's suffering? You see, the power of the gospel is not demonstrated in people who have no problems. Jesus mentioned that unbelievers do good when things are good. In Matthew 5 verse 46 and 47, we read, "For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Some years ago, a Ugandan said to me, "Of course you love God. Look at all the good things God has given you. Isn't that how Satan accused Job before God? Didn't he say Job only does good because you've blessed him so much? In Job chapter one from verse 9 to verse 11, we read, "Then Satan answered the Lord and said, "Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. Was Job's love for God truly dependent on his material prosperity? Is that why Job loved God? No, not at all. But you see, so long as Job was prosperous, the accusation could be made. His true love wasn't able to be revealed so long as he was prosperous. What needed to happen to prove Satan was wrong? Job had to suffer. The blessings had to be taken away. How did Job respond to his suffering? In chapter 1 of Job, verse 20 to verse 22, after Job has heard all the terrible news about all of his possessions being lost and then last of all his children being killed, we read this is how he responded. It says, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. You see, friends, the power of those born of God's Spirit is not demonstrated by their material prosperity. And there are a lot of false teachers that like to point to material possessions they have as the evidence that God is with them. But that is not at all the, the display of the power of the gospel. That's demonstrated in the fact that Christians are more powerful than the physical problems they face. Consider how the Bible describes Jesus' love through the way he suffered in Isaiah 50 verse 6. It says, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Which human being would do that, can do that? Who can willingly give themselves to be tortured and ashamed? Well, the next verses give us the power that makes it possible. In verse 7 and 8 of Isaiah 50, it says, But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. In every true Christian, there flows the fountain of eternal life. Jesus described it as being a well that springs up inside us. Jesus has become for them an inner source of life. They possess a power the world doesn't know, and this secret power is only revealed, friends, when we display the death of Christ in our bodies. There's a story in the book in a book called *The Persecutor* that illustrates this powerful Christian testimony. The book is the life testimony of a Soviet citizen named Sergei Kordakov. Sergei grew up as an orphan and eventually joined the Soviet military. He was gifted in martial arts and eventually was given the assignment of leading a secret police force tasked with finding underground church meetings and arresting and discouraging the members from continuing in the faith. This squad of police were brutal. They were all champions in various fighting disciplines, and the Christians they arrested never tried to resist them. They would brutally beat and disfigure the men and women found gathered to worship Jesus. At one such encounter, the police found a young woman in attendance who was very beautiful. They didn't want to beat her, so they threatened her that if they ever found her at another meeting, she would get the same treatment as the others that she observed. But at the very next meeting, the police were shocked to see this same young lady present among the Christians. Two of the police were so enraged by this defiance of their warning that they beat the young lady mercilessly until her flesh from her back was coming off in pieces on their hands as they continued to strike her. She was then carried off with the other prisoners. But several weeks later, the police were astonished to find this same young woman present at a different gathering of believers. One one large policeman was so furious at her disobedience that he went over to her with an upraised club planning to kill her. But as he came towards her, one of his fellow officers ran in front of the girl with his arms raised high in the air, shouting, Don't touch her. She has something we don't have. At these words, the big police officer's face softened and he walked out of the room. Do you see, friends, there is a peace that passes human understanding. To display the true power of Christ's life in us, you must experience Christ's death in your body. It is in those moments that we show that the life of Christ is greater than death. This is what 2 Corinthians 4.10, which we read earlier, is talking about. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. It's in suffering that this reality is shown, that it comes out, that there's this deeper resource in us that is overcoming and overpowering our death. Paul makes this remark in another place about the necessity of suffering in the church. In Colossians 1 verse 24, it's written, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. The next time someone tells you Christians aren't supposed to suffer, this would be a great verse to share with them. Here, Paul describes almost a necessary quota of suffering the church is supposed to be experiencing. Paul said he experienced suffering to fill up what was lacking in the afflictions of Christ. I know many precious saints who are manifesting the true power of the love of God because they are suffering. We've been praying for a young boy named Quentin and his family for several years. He has suffered with terrible cancer. That has involved him in all, all kinds of pain. And it's, it's, it's totally, it's become the situation that their family is in constantly. Their, their whole world revolves around his, his treatment and his condition. And he suffers greatly with it. And that, of course, means great trials for his parents and his family. But through it all, the family has time and again testified to the love and goodness of God in their situation. Yesterday, a dear son in our ministry who has a terminal health condition wrote to me beautiful words of encouragement that included good passages of scripture for my current trials. He was concerned about me because of what I was experiencing. Most people with such severe health trials as he has do not think about the needs of others. But his faith is a living testimony to this deeper power of the gospel that resides in us, whose bodies are described as jars of clay. I have found a remarkable reality in the sufferings I've experienced. Rather than losing my joy and bringing on complaints, I have found truer joy and deeper gratitude than I had before. God has indeed blessed me with more than I deserve. And physical suffering does not change that reality. None of us likes or desires to suffer. So when it comes, many people ask, why is it happening? The Bible tells us why, friends. We are manifesting the life of Jesus in us when it is overcoming the death of Jesus in us. This is a power unique to those who are born of Christ. No one else has it. When people observe you, Do they see that you possess a power they don't have? Are they drawn to the power of Christ by how you patiently endure suffering? God bless you all.